Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It is Wheeler Dealer Radio. We are gathered here this week. Uh, you know, it's a very sad week. It is the worst week of Brian Ashlock's life. Uh, you know, it, it's been hard to watch the departure of Jose Mourinho, the end of the Super League, and now Ryan Mason is the, man, is the youngest manager in the history of the Premier League and has won his first game with Tottenham Hotspur. Ben, in, in this moment of sadness, do you have any messages you would like to share with Brian? Do you have any, you know, when, when you think about Brian with a Y this week, what are you thinking? Uh, I mean, I, I just, I know what I felt like two years ago when jo- uh, Jose Mourinho got hired and Pochettino got sacked, and I know how hard that was for me. And so I'm going to try and be respectful in Brian's hour of need to see the greatest manager in Spurs history replaced Jose Mourinho. <laughs> Brian, how are you doing? I mean, I hate you guys, specifically, the two of you. Um, I hate Daniel Levy for doing this to me. I'm not really that upset about the Super League thing, but about the Ryan Mason thing, definitely. The only Spurs uh, fan in existence who is not upset about the Super League, but is upset about Ryan Mason taking over for Jose Mourinho. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. Chris Powell should have the job. This is totally <laughs> stupid. I don't even know how, right? Like, I, I mean, we know how he got it. It's favoritism and not nepotism, <laughs> but, you know, some other kind of ism. Um, you know, I just, I, I don't know. I just, this is, this is the darkest timeline and I'm living it. And I, I don't know. Well, as we mourn your passing, we offer you your spiritual support. Uh, we, uh, listeners, please open your hymnals to <laughs> to uh, four twenty sixty nine four twenty and we verse will twenty eight have a fl- we will blow Ryan Mason said will, unto the world I shall will, make a circle in midfield in, in honor of Brian we will now sing from the book of Flow Rider <laughs> please please join us no I I was very excited about today's game I think Ben as a slight for once being the more rational. Um, Member of, of of our duo, or our trio, I guess. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm not actually dead. <laughs> yeah, it, it's technical. It's technical. Um, but Ben, like, was this the most? I feel like this is certainly the most relaxed I've been watching Spurs in months. I was looking forward to the game. I enjoyed the game in a way that I haven't named I and I'm not. Ne- I haven't been nearly as anti Mourinho as you or some of the people we talked about in the last podcast. But I guess I, I it was doing a lot to sort of like protect myself because I didn't realize how relaxed I was going to be when he was gone until we watched a match with Ryan Mason. Like all sorts of things he was doing, from the way we played to the way he talked about the team, really just. It was just a very relaxing experience for me in a way I had not anticipated. Yeah, I feel like there are really two strains of experiencing this this game. Well, three if you include Brian's just abject misery. But there was the one hand where it was like, 
I have checked out of Spurs for so long that I am now uncomfortable with experiencing a game that I actually care about, and there are actual stakes here, and I I don't know what it is like to feel anxious about about winning or losing. And then the flip side of that, which I think is where I was at least, is the I am so relieved Jose's gone that nothing can hurt me. It doesn't and... matter what Ryan Mason does. Anything that happens is going to be amazing. And unlike the day that Mourinho got fired, the Super League was dead. So that wasn't even taking the shine off of it. Yeah, it was just pure joy, top to bottom. Other than Deli Alley not playing. But other than that, <laughs> just pure joy. Well, to me, the thing that was interesting was... I think the thing that hit me the most, which I think Brian is going to probably want to talk about this after I'm done, was like normally you've got a manager talking about passion and bravery... And, you know, dedication to the club. Like Again, because normally it's lip service and I just get a little tired of that. But it was it was like manna from heaven the last, like yesterday and today. It was maybe because we hadn't gotten it in so long or hadn't felt genuine in so long. But it was just like, this is nice. This is a, this is refreshing. This is, I haven't experienced this. It felt like anyone meant it in so long. Now, some of that's because we've been living with Mourinho for the last two years and, you know, at a minimum miserable football for the last couple of months if not longer, and some of it too is like, I think Ryan Mason actually believes this stuff, so it's not just like Harry Redknapp talking out of his ass, so I think... No, that's the problem, is that he does (laughs) No, but it comes, it was, I I don't know if, you know, if, let's say, I I don't think any of us are going to rationally argue this, if he was here in a year, and even if he he was doing well, I think I would find it a lot more tiresome then, but for right now, it is just, you know, it, uh, like, like, put it directly in my veins, just Lovely, lovely stuff. Uh, Brian, I, I can tell you're just dying. Dying with a Y over there. <laughs> I just hate it. I hate it so much. And that's nothing against Do you Ryan really Mason. hate I it, hate or it. is this a bit? I know we don't yeah, admit no, to I bits. really hate literally any manager that comes in and is like, hey, what we need is more passion and bravery. And I'm like, shut but up. He, like, he actually sells... I, I, I do want to be... Like, when he talks about how important Tottenham is to him, like... I believe that in a way that I don't even necessarily believe it from Pochettino. Like, and I do believe Pochettino has a connection to the club. But Mason, I think, is in a unique position to sell this particular merchandise, for lack of a better term. A bill of goods, if you there, will. Yeah. You know, I hear <laughs> that there, it's, it's kind of like when there's fire and if you see some smoke and one might lead to the other. I don't know. I mean, when Ryan Mason said to me, I want to give the lads the freedom to play without fear, that is a empty platitude that I deeply, deeply believed in. When, when he because, said, when he know, said we've play like Tottenham team. Hotspur, it was like 6 to midnight. It was just fantastic. Exactly what I want to hear. And just and not only because it's like, it's yeah, it's, it's dumb lip service from a guy who believes it, but like the reality is like we did not play with Tottenham Hotspur. We played like a team who was afraid to lose. We played like a team who was afraid to express itself for so long. So when you say these things, it's like it's not just the empty platitude of like, oh, you're going to be brave out there. You're going to be un- unafraid. It's like that's literally a thing that these guys like needed to do was to not be so afraid of making a mistake that Jose Mourinho was going to talk about how shitty they were in the press. Like that was a real albatross around the team's neck. And like, yeah, it's just like the fucking dumb shit thing. And 29 year old lad says, but also like, amen, Ryan Mason. Amen. 
I really wish Ryan Mason would have gone out after the game and thrown Tongi and Dombley under the bus. <laughs> just been like, just been like, well, we had to take him off. We weren't really controlling the game, and then brought on a real proper English football lad and Harry Winks. And do, do, really do you just need that. to wean yourself off the narcotic, Brian? Is it? Is that, <laughs> is that what it is? I, I, uh, yeah. I'm trying to be positive about this because you guys are right. Like, like it, it was enjoyable to not watch a Jose Mourinho coach match. Like, I was like actively like checking my phone to see when the lineup was going to be tweeted out, and then like I saw the lineup and I was like, all right, well, I guess we're doing this again. Uh, you know, but like, it was, but it was. I, I think I, like. We're going to get into this game in a minute, but like just, I thought all, a lot of those players, at least, not maybe not all, looked way more exciting than they've looked in months. And that's without Harry Kane on the pitch. Yeah, Only by virtue of I don't know. clearly the manager was like, why don't we try attacking and possessing the ball? And that didn't always work all that well today, but it, it was nice to see the effort. <laughs> yeah, I guess I just, I, I have this real aversion to like, coach speak in general and and just kind of the way that a lot of our past managers have spoken about the game like like Pochettino was evasive when he when talking about tactics but you got little snippets here and there and then Jose Mourinho was just you know Jose Mourinho but like I didn't expect Ryan Mason to come in and be like, hey, yeah, you know, well, what we need to do is be more free-flowing in the attack, and I want us to, you know, really work on overlaps and exploiting the space in the final third. I didn't expect that of him, but I just really didn't want to have to hear bravery, passion, like good old English grit and grass. Those are all synonyms, right? That all, that all means that. Yeah. You know I, what he meant. I'm just like, uh but it was, again, it's like, there's a difference from, like, hearing Harry Redknapp tell you that, where it sounds like he's trying to sell you a car, and then there's, like, having Ryan Mason tell you that, where, like, it sounds like he actually believes it, because I think he actually does believe it. But is that good? Is that good that he believes for, that that's for, the difference? Like, just a bit of bravery? For at least a day. summation of his player? For at least a day, it was exactly what I needed to hear after, like, 18 months of Jose Mourinho. It's exactly what I needed. Tweeted out in the morning that Ryan Mason's first interview as Tottenham Hotspur manager, and I watched it knowing full well exactly what he would say, and then he said it, and I was still just like, "You didn't." Fucking it didn't like scratch some part of your fandom lizard brain, and I know exactly what is going on there. I'm not trying to like act like it's a stroke of genius or something unique no, to Ryan Mason. I'm not even doing this for a bit. Like I just no, I just don't. <laughs> I'm not happy about it. I don't like it. Nothing like. I was just, I literally was watching the video clip of his interview, rolling my eyes. Just saying, like, I'm not owned, I am not owned. <laughs> I'll never log off. <laughs> um, I mean, look, if I had to watch a year of Ryan Mason talking about bravery and subbing off Tongi and Dombele for Harry Winks, with with varying effects, you know, like, yeah, I would have a lot less time for it. But, like, right now, again, it's just like, all all we're doing is just trying to recapture some some element of joy out of a season that is just like beating us down. And you know, like every every fan of every team wants to tell themselves that like their team plays football the right way and has a you know, wants to see like the beautiful game as it's meant to be played. And, you know, a lot of on a lot of levels it's like bullshit, whatever. But when Ryan Mason gets out there and says, I want to play the Tottenham way to every Tottenham fan, they have a sense of what that means, and they have experienced what it doesn't look like 
for the last 18 months. And, like, when Ryan Mason says it, you know he really has an agenda of, like, this is an important thing to this club, to these fans, to me as a person now coaching this team. And, like, yeah, it's fucking banal nonsense, but it's also just, like, pure catnip. I, I gotta say, of the monks, and I'm putting aside my social media feed because I think I saw this been humming on there too. Of the Spurs fans that I talk to on a regular basis, I would say there's at least three to four of them who were heavily disengaged by the end of the Mourinho team. One of them is a guest, is a host on this podcast, and all three to four of them it wasn't me. It wasn't Brian. It's not me. But all three to four of them were like, you know, for lack of a better term, buzzing like yesterday and today, like. Whatever else you said, these are people, and I don't think I'm actually including Ben on this one, who were like, I don't know if I'm going to be a Spurs fan in the same way after this, and Super League played into it a little bit, but like all of them were like, bought the fuck in. Like, for it was just like, it, it, it felt like, and I think some of this is incidental because it's just because Mourinho's gone, it just felt like a breath of fresh air today. And I think there were problems, we'll get into that, but especially considering that Ryan Mason had about two days to cobble this together. First, for a 29-year-old who, you know, whatever else you want to say about Ryan Mason, when he talks about how much he loves Tottenham Hotspur, I believe him. I 100% believe him. And I think, let's segue into the game a little bit here, I think you could see it on the pitch. Uh, I think it wasn't great in the first half, but considering that there was a report, and I don't know how true it is, there was a report today that Mourinho spent four hours on the training ground after he was fired basically airing his grievances with the players, which, as awful as that is, I, I'm I'm not going to lie. I wish I could quit jobs like that. Like, kudos to you, Jose. Like, just, you're shit. You're yes, shit. You're yeah. shit. Like, you know what? It's awful. He probably shouldn't have been doing that. He was probably wrong about a lot of it. But I wish I could quit jobs like that. Like, you know, kudos to you for going out that way. But, I wish the Amazon documentary was around this season. Yeah, so that would be pretty... I, I would love to see his meeting with, like, Danny Rose or Deli Alley, just to see how that went. Um, but I, I think you could see the players responding differently, and I, I think there was definitely some confusion, because if there was... I mean, again, Ryan Mason had two days. I, I think we'll get into the tactics, but clearly they weren't... didn't have time to develop anything more sophisticated, if that's even possible for a guy who's such a young manager. But clearly the instructions were get forward, attack, let's try and possess the ball. Now, that didn't go so well for a lot of the match, but I will give them credit, even in the first half. They were trying something different. They were not just, you know, sitting back and getting penned in. And it's Southampton, I know, so, you know, I mean, they, they, they made us look like fools in the first half. That's not great, but God bless them for trying something else. And it wasn't just the same old shit under Jose. Yeah, I mean, we weren't just kicking it long and fucking defending, as Deli would say. We really you know, were like, kicking it long today. I mean, that's a really good point. And, you know, like, to get into, like, the actual mechanics of that first half, like, it wasn't great. Like, Southampton had a very, very intense press that lasted for 45 minutes before their legs wore out. Um, and, you know, we we really struggled to put anything together in the first half. Um, but... Outside by the end of the first of like, half, it was coming together a yeah, little bit. Yeah, you're right. By the end of the first half, we started humming a little bit uh, once we went a goal down. But Southampton also were not putting together like a lot of like great attacks from open play. They just have maybe the best set piece taker in the world, and you know really punished us from that. Um, 
you know, but I think by and large, you saw a midfield of Hoybier and Dombele and Lacelso, which is something that, like, again, we just haven't seen enough of, but we all dream on generally possessing the ball well, moving the ball forward well. Um, I thought Regulon had one of his best games in a while. Um, you know, he's still iffy as a player uh, so far for Spurs, but, like, he seemed to have a, a, a verve to he his was, game that has been really, like, stepped on. He was yeah. up for it. Um, you know, like, Lucas, who's, like, the Jose fanboy number one besides Harry Kane, didn't seem to not be playing just as hard as he did for Jose. So, like, that's nice to know. Um, you know, Bale scored a great goal for Ryan Mason, the manager I thought this was, Hotspur. I thought this was one of Bale's better games since he came back, and I think part of that's because the leash was off. How would you have felt if Bale would have scored that goal and then, like, ran down the touchline and jumped into Ryan Mason's arms? I, I would have just come right there. It's, it's you know, like, I would, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I, I just, I would have exploded right at that moment in time. Um, yeah, I mean, like Ben said, it was, it was tough in the first half because we got kind of punished on set pieces and they had that one really good early chance that gave them most of their XG for the entire match. Um, Hugo had a hell of a few weeks, by the way, just that's the second amazing double save we've seen in a very short amount of time. And, you know... I guess my thing was is is I would have liked for us to have created more just in the way of, you know, opportunities um, or expected goals. Like, you know, 12 shots, three on target, but like less than one and a half expected goals. And that includes the penalty. Like, that's not fair, great. To be fair, they had a very nice goal chalked offside or chalked off. Yep, by well, correctly chalked off. But like you know, it's not like we weren't. I mean, it's another move if you're just talking about creating sure. chances. Sure, I, I don't know. I just I you know, obviously, I think what we all hoped for, like in our wildest dreams, was we went out there and we put like 35 shots on the board. And scored six goals and just made Southampton look silly. And and we labored a lot more than I think we would have liked. And so I guess in that way it felt kind of like a Jose Mourinho performance. Just in terms of, not in terms of the actual product on the field, not in terms of the way that we played, but just in like... Uh, this is one of the worst teams in the league, a team that's struggling with injuries, a team that's been on a bad run of form, and here they are. They're getting the better of us through 45 minutes, and it kind of looks like the players aren't as into it. And, and and then, you know, credit to everybody. They came out in the second half and turned it around. Um, I mean, I think there's also a very mitigating factor of we didn't have Harry Kane and our record sure. without Harry Kane is very poor. We had won one of the previous five going into this without Harry Kane and Southampton had the only striker in the world as good as Harry Kane and Danny Ings. So, you know, it, like it was a bit of a mismatch in well, terms of talent. There. Two days worth of, you know, two days worth of prep. Right. It's like, you know, we did not have, we played Lucas Moran striker. Like that's just not an ideal situation in terms of like creating chances and, and opportunities, um, at, even at the best of times. And this was not the best of times. This was 
two days prep for a guy who's never managed a senior game in his life. And he walked away with a win against the guy we hope might be our manager someday. Nice. So. You, still, you, you still hope he might be our manager soon? Because <laughs> games like today make me really not want him to be our next manager. Um, yeah, I was... I mean, Ben, you look at that first half. I think we'll get to the second half in a second. But, I mean, you look at how we really struggled, especially at the beginning of that first half. Is that... I mean, do you chalk that up to, like, Southampton was just executing their plan well? Is that, like... We got a new manager, and they're trying to play a little differently, and, you know, shit like that's going to happen. I mean, what do you think is, why did we struggle so much early on? Well, we struggled so much, I think, because Southampton presses very, very well. Um, And, you know, and I guess at this point in the season, they really only had about 45 minutes, 40 minutes of that high-intensity press in them. And... In the last 18 months, we have never learned how to cope with that because Jose Mourinho is not interested in, like, how to build up through passing through a press. His idea is, okay, we're just going to get it back to Hugo, and he's going to hoof it long. Like, So when you're trying to play a possession-oriented, expansive attack in the face of a press, and none of your guys have practiced passing through you know, an aggressive press in almost two years, like you're going to struggle with it. You know, the normal patterns of how we would get around a, a high pressing team is just kick it long and then hope we can win that second ball on the outlet. And, you know, credit to Ryan Mason, like that's not how we played. We weren't just hoofing it out of the back and hoping um, we tried to pass through it. And even though we have some very good passers in this team, you know, they're not, really well drilled in how to move the ball through aggressive pressing. And so you see a few moments where, yeah. you know, like Regulon does a little flick and then in Dombele, like Shimmy's a guy and Los Celso drives forward. Like there was a lot of that that you'd see in like individual moments, but like as a unit, it just wasn't there. Which and struck- I think it's a thing that could get there, but yeah. Well, and you also have to remember that like even under Pochettino, when teams came out and pressed us hard, we struggled at times. I mean, we struggled in matches against Liverpool and in City against City at times, and um, and other teams that would come out and really p- apply pressure. Especially, you know, at the end of the Pochettino era, you know, remember the light is in, in Bayern Munich, and it's just like, you know, so it's not like this was at least in recent years that this has been a team that is particularly capable of playing through a, a really good and well drilled pressing system. Um, so, so I think you're right. Um, you know, that, that obviously is something that would come from having more time on the training ground, you know, having more, more, more drills and in, in passing, uh, passing patterns, patterns of play, what positions we want people to take up. Um, I don't think we're going to get that in the last, whatever, six, seven games under Ryan Mason. Like that's going to be a thing that's going to have to be instilled over the summer and under a new manager. Um, but you know, I, I, look, I, 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 I want to make sure that I don't sound all doom and gloom about Ryan Mason just because of Ryan Mason. Like this was better and somewhat more interesting than you know the I Jose Mourinho errors. But I mean, there's a lot of baggage along with this, but I thought it was much more interesting. And like, admittedly, a lot of that has to do with off the field stuff. I thought what what struck me. I don't know if you guys agree. I thought this was one of Los Celso's more involved if not impressive performances in a Spurs shirt and I think that had directly had to do with 
we were trying to progress the ball through the midfield again. And I think Ben, like you were talking about in terms of being used to doing that sort of thing, you could see him and Son weren't quite on the same page for a lot of the game because he was making very good to very close to good passes to him. And I think you could see a little bit of the player we bought from Betis a few years ago. Or, yeah, was it a few? Yeah, two years ago. Jesus. Um, you know, and again... I just can't believe you said Betis instead of Betis. You know, you know. <laughs> you just get into your bad American habits and it is what it is. But, uh, you know, I, I was like, again, this if this game did anything for me, it was if we get a real manager in here and who is trying to possess an attack, like, there is a lot, especially in the midfield, there's a lot of, there's a lot to work with. And I thought a lot of our problems today were just we've been hoofing it long and not having a coherent plan all season. Right, and I think, you know, the one thing that's really important to keep in mind in terms of, like, you know, how bad those that first half was, um, they had, Southampton put together about one expected goal over the course of, ma- of the match. Point eight of it, was that first play in the third minute. And the rest of the game was just nothing. So, like, even though we weren't really equipped for moving through that press, um, like a better drilled version of this team might be, the consequences of their of their press was not peppering our goal with, like, tons of chances and tons of high-quality chances. Like, the, the defense really had a day off today. I mean, you know, we have spent so much time with them under so much pressure and, like, they just didn't have a lot of work to do. It's and amazing fact, what happens when the rest of the team is possessing the ball. Right. And I think the fact that we were able to come out of this game with the win the way we did with, you know, no real plan other than play the best players and, like, let them cook a little bit. Um, and we were able to just play to our talent level and beat a team like Southampton is really telling about all of the performances we had under Jose when we're blowing games to Brighton and, you know... Those were with Harry Kane. Crystal Palace and, like, yeah, whoever that, like, are just the bad teams that you just should be beating. And we talked about this last week, but, like, when Tim Sherwood was manager, he didn't do a good job, but he did at least, like, get us beating the teams we should beat. He just got us also getting our asses kicked about anybody by anybody remotely good. And... If that's all we're getting out of Ryan Mason, that's already better than what Jose Mourinho was doing because he wasn't beating beatable teams. I mean, I think Mason deserves a lot of credit for, I mean, again, this is, you know, showing a thin rule we were working with before. Not a great first half from Tottenham Hotspur. And they came out ready to kick some ass in the second half. And I don't think that's because Ryan Mason necessarily gave him a team talk of his life. But I think they probably reacted well not getting browbeat and, like, told they were pieces of shit and... You know, that he just didn't fuck it up at halftime. Is it is that it's such an enormous improvement for this fucking team? And I'll tell you what was really frustrating. I mean, not, I, I just mentioned LaCelso and how I thought he played well, given that he was just being asked to attack and progress the ball today. I thought Bale was pretty good. And you just got to wonder, like, what would have happened if we had a manager? And I, I accept that Bale had some fitness issues, and they might have been mental issues, too, depending on what you read. But, like, certainly since, you know, early February, like, what if we were just letting this guy cook? He was doing really impressive stuff all match, even if he's not the Gareth Bale he used to be. I mean, clearly very useful, at least against, you know, teams like this. And it wasn't like he wasn't doing some defensive work either. He was getting back, and not like, you know, you some other players can, but he was getting back and putting a shift in. 
I mean, before the Arsenal game had him exiled from the team, he had six goals and three assists in, like, five matches. Like, we saw what he was capable of. He still has a lot of talent and a lot of ability to play at this level. And it was just, yeah, Jose Mourinho might still be the manager if he had allowed Gareth Bale to keep playing because he's a really good player. And he just wasn't putting the good players on the pitch. And so, yeah, I think, like you said, it gives a lot of hope for, like, what this team might be with a real manager in charge who's, like, has time to, like, actually drill this team in a tactical setup with a plan for how to how to approach a game. Um, but, like, even without that, again, it's like we had lost, I think, six games this season after going behind at halftime, and lo and behold, we get rid of Jose Mourinho, and at the first ask, we turn it around. And I, and I think that says everything. It's just, you know, I know you hate bravery, Brian, but, like, that's exactly what we're talking about. It's like a team is still fighting to, to the end of the match. Well, no, about, yeah, look. Yeah. Say what you want about that stuff. They're not getting, you know, they, they tried. <laughs> yeah, look, you know, fighting spirit, teamwork, wanting to win one for the Gipper, whatever. Like, yeah, the, I mean, that that part of it is good, um, I guess, if, if you're going to make me say things. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> the other thing I think we we should talk about about this game and about what Ryan Mason did with it is we should talk about the substitutions. Uh, you'd um, like that, would you? I want to take one moment before we get to the substitutions. Gareth Bale can place a ball very well. That was an extremely pretty goal he scored. <laughs> yes, and then he was replaced. Um, but yeah, Thanks. no, uh, it was great. Like When they show the angle that's like from on the sideline just behind him like he has a very small window to aim at and it gets even smaller as the defenders are coming back and he just puts it there perfectly like you know look harry kane is an amazing finisher and he consistently puts the ball in the same fucking spot in the exact same way and that's really cool but gareth bale just like he he does things to a football that are just nuts. Even even not take away the goal, he was pulling like techers on guys. I mean, very. I was honestly. I mean, he doesn't have the pace he used to have. I was very impressed by lots of things he did today, and it made Mourinho excluding him, especially against like the lesser lights of the league, even more sort of mystifying. He did that outside of the boot cross again. Yes. Where he and just- it- Far post right onto somebody's head. And I was like, oh, it doesn't make sense. How can you do that? If Lucas wasn't playing, that might have been a goal. Yeah, Son was very upset about that. <laughs> but, yeah, let's talk about his substitutions, because I... Yeah, they were bad. Yeah, they're but bad every team. manager makes bad substitutions. Pochettino was terrible at it, so... Yeah, the two managers Ryan Mason has had to learn from were guys who are not good at substitutions. But these are bad subs. Um, and, like, yes, we won after the subs happened, but I will I will concede that they were not good. Eric Lamella comes on and changes the game, as per usual. I don't know about Steve, but we were talking about this earlier. I, I am not ready to give up on Bergvine because I want to see what a manager who doesn't play him as a fullback does with him. Um, but, you know, that's not, like, I, I thought the big problem was he removed our, the guys who progressed the ball. If you're going to take... You know, and I, I accept that Lo Celso probably needs his minutes managed. But if you're going to take him and Indomble off, you know, I guess Wink started that move that led to the disallowed goal. But 
generally didn't do anything else on the pitch. I, I would have liked, I mean, I don't love seeing Eric Lamella in that situation, but I will accept that Eric Lamella is capable of passing the ball forward occasionally. I would have liked to see Deli Alley in there because, you know, we really did lose our ability, I thought, to get forward. And I mean, our chances this dropped supposed, off. This was supposed to be fan service to match. So, like, come on, man. Like, you got to give us Deli. Like, the whole, the whole point of this game is just to, like, appease everybody and make everybody feel good again. And, uh, you know, obviously we won without it. Thanks to a, a thanks to VAR, who everybody hates, but has been like Tottenham's best friend over the last few Tot- years. VAR has given us some incredible moments. <laughs> usually, usually against Manchester City, I say looking towards Sunday. Uh, I think the um, man. I got distracted thinking about Sunday, and then now I've totally forgotten <laughs> my point. What did we say before we Talk were talking about substitutions about and, and fan um, service? You want to talk shit about Harry Winks for a minute? I did want to talk about. I did want to talk shit about Harry Winks, but that wasn't it specifically. Like there was something else, but so we'll we'll just go with Harry Winks. Um, Oh no, it was Deli Alley. It makes me concerned that Deli Alley might actually be an asshole. Like, (laughs) like if if Mourinho wasn't playing him, we can be like, all right, that's Mourinho. And now if Ryan Mason is also like, no, sorry, you don't get to play either. I find that a little bit worrying. But, I mean, look, it's one match, so I'm not going to read too much into it. I will accept that Ryan Mason is looking towards Sunday, and he probably played... Like, would anyone be shocked if we we see almost the exact... If we see the exact same lineup on Sunday, and he's just trying to drill those guys in. Now, why Daly's not in that lineup is maybe another discussion. But I understand he might be trying to, like... These guys have been starting a lot. Let's just play that. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean... I, I, so I'll be, I don't I'll be more know how likely it is that Harry Kane plays, but maybe I would, we would. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but let's talk about Harry Winks because he played for some fucking reason. <laughs> um, Harry Winks, the most Ryan Mason player on this team. Um, Ryan Mason scored and, far more goals than Harry Winks. So or I mean, Harry Kane scored, or Harry Winks has scored some very impressive fluky, not meant to be goal goals. Hey, Harry Winks scored that header against Fulham, and we'll always have that. Yeah, that's true. That was incredibly um, funny. <laughs> I don't I mean, like Ben said, I just have a problem with, you know, you're trying to possess the ball, you need to continue to possess the ball and make progressive line-breaking passes and the two players you remove are your two players most capable of doing that. And, you know, like you said, Greg, like Lamella can come on and he can make a forward pass. He can do some things to break the lines. He can do some things to set up goals. But the Winks and Dombele substitution, I don't feel like that helps you structurally. I don't feel like that helps you in possession. I don't feel like that helps you out of possession. Like, is that a better substitution than Ndombele for or Sissoko for Ndombele? Maybe I I guess, um, but you know, the, Lamella at that point, or Deli Alley at that point, or Vinicius at that point, like any of those subs probably made more sense or would have been more helpful. Now, ultimately, it doesn't matter because we win the game. Like you said, Winks is involved in the build-up for that disallowed goal. Um, and he, I can't think of a single other touch he had. Honestly, um, Harry Winks had. Passed the ball six times. Five of them were in his own half in 20 minutes. Like, he was just a non-factor. He didn't do anything. 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I don't like the sub, but like you guys said, like it worked out in the end. And what, what does he know about making subs well, after having watched Mourinho and Pochettino? The funny thing is all of our heads would have exploded if Mourinho had taken off Ndombele and put on Harry Wings for him. But we're all just right. It's, yeah. it's, it's all about good vibes till the end of the season, boys. And I mean, look, I'm I'm perfectly fine with giving him leeway on you know, tack, you know, making poor substitutions in the game when it works out. Like, all right, whatever. We did that for Pochettino all the time. How often did he wait until the 73rd minute to bring on Musa Sissoko, and then completely unrelatedly we would come back and win a match? Like, you know, I. That's fine. I, I, I'm happy to give Mason a pass on that, but like, it, it, at the end of the day, the selection of who he wants to bring on to change games is going to be much more important this weekend. I'm. What do you? We're, we're going to get. What do you our, think our chances are? We're going to get our asses kicked so bad <laughs> yeah. by City. They're not going to be as profligate as Southampton. Like all those like. All those, like, adventures into our half that didn't create chances for Southampton, like, they are going to create so many chances for City. And even with De Bruyne out, like, they're still going to, like, oh, God. It's it's not going to be any judgment on Ryan. Ryan Mason could end up being a very good manager, and we could still get our asses just completely handed to us by City this weekend. It's, yeah, I mean, they're not going to have De Bruyne. They're not going to have John They might Stones. have De Bruyne. They might. Oh, great! Ugh. He's like a, he's like in Harry Kane territory with like, will he, won't he, with his ankle. But yeah, John Stones is suspended, which is a, somehow in the, the year of our Lord twenty twenty one, like a boon to the opposition, uh, rather than John Stones being a punchline. So that's weird. Yeah, I mean, just still top to bottom, they're just just better than us. I don't know. That's I mean, look, be- look, bad teams have beaten Pep Guardiola before. Like, worse teams than us have beaten Pep Guardiola True. before. Here's the question that I'm interested in from you guys. Do you think we have a better chance of winning? Now that you've watched him coach a game at Tottenham Hotspur, do you think we have a better chance of winning this game with Ryan Mason as our coach than we did with Jose Mourinho? Brian, I want to hear you first because I know what Ben is going to say. No, I don't think we have a better chance. I think we have the exact same chance in this particular match as we did before. It was like a 5% either way. And, you know, the fact that Mason is willing to play less reactive football is great. But also, we're playing Manchester City and maybe, you know, some of the great results we've gotten against them in the past have been from playing kind of negative reactive football. Um, So... Yeah, I think I think our chances are probably the same or less with Mason. Ben, do you do you? I I don't know where you're gonna go with this. If you're gonna give me actual analysis, you're just gonna lead into bits. Yeah, I I, I don't know either. Um, I mean, I kind of agree with Brian that like he's right. Like we beat Man City when we take two shots and score two goals and they take 30 shots and somehow don't score. Like that has been very much the story of how we've beaten Man City. But also the last time we played Man City, they fucking whipped our asses and scored goals. So, you know, I think just the state of things under Jose Mourinho was not conducive to playing that 
perfectly immaculate defensive rear guard action that it takes to to beat Man City at that game. So I'm going to say yes, we have a better chance of beating beating with them with Ryan Mason because the very least we're going to play. I'm like yes, playing Man City in an open game of football is suicide, but hey, it might work. I'll tell you one thing, and I don't think Mason's necessarily going to play open football against them. I mean, we have no idea what he's going to do. I mean, I think there's going to be some version of reactive, but I'm going to enjoy this way more than I was under Jose Mourinho. Like, it is going to be, you know, if we lose, whatever. It's Ryan Mason's second game. They're Manchester City. It's Pep Guardiola. Whatever. But if we win, like, I'm not going to have to look at, like, Jose Mourinho's, like, stupid fucking face, smiling about it and claiming credit, like... It's going to be, I mean, if we can somehow manufacture a win in this game, it's going to be one of the most incredible wins I've seen as a Spurs fan. I don't think it's going to happen. I think I think we are going to get just fucking torched. And I think, yeah, we'll, I think we'll hang on long enough to make it even worse than, it, than if they just scored on us in the third minute. But, man, it would be something. It, I, I, the good vibes, the good vibe journey of Ryan Mason winning this game would sure be something. I mean, I think my real answer to your question is, like, I don't care how it changes our odds because I'm just happier about the experience, win or lose, that Jose Mourinho is not the fucking guy who either gets to hold it over us that he won a trophy or hold it over us that, like, these shitty players couldn't win him a trophy, the mighty Jose Mourinho. I mean, he's going to do it regardless. Like, even though he doesn't coach. Yeah, but who cares? Like, now who cares? But it's like I mean, he's, it's he's like, definitely going to claim this one. He's going to be yeah, like, I him. won Tottenham Hotspur a trophy. I take credit for that. Even but see, this is the that. advantage of having a guy like Ryan Mason as your coach. Like, if he wins, it doesn't matter what Jose Mourinho says because Ryan Mason winning a trophy at 29 in his second game is a much better story than Jose Mourinho's sour grapes. Does that make Ryan Mason a better manager than Pochettino? <laughs> I think Ryan Mason the best manager in the history of the Premier League. I mean, no, but he's the youngest manager ever. He'll certainly be the youngest manager to win a trophy. I mean, you can't argue with that. Best I think, manager I think in history. That's percent win rate. Henry Winter said that you know we're a club full of romantics, and he's not wrong. And what was more romantic than Ryan Mason at 29 winning a trophy in his second game? Like that is. Again, I don't think we are likely to win this game, and I think there's a very rational argument for Mourinho was still better poised to win this game than Ryan Mason. But, like, the ceiling on this game is so much higher than it was a week ago, and the floor is, like, it's basically the same. So, I just wish it was Tom Carroll that was our manager. Oh, my God, can you imagine? My capacity for joy from winning this game is now through the fucking roof. And, like, even had Jose won that trophy, it would have been, like, I I mean, I'm not going to speak for anybody, everybody, but, like, it would have felt less. Less than this. Like, less than, like, yeah. the alternative. I don't know. This is going to feel real shitty if Ryan Mason wins. <laughs> for me, personally. Me and my personal, quote-unquote, brand will be... Gravely injured by this. <laughs> Your Q score is just going to go through the floor. Yeah, I, I don't know. I can't handle it. This is I don't know awful. how you can't just roll with it. Like I wrote a lot of articles six years ago about how shitty Ryan Mason was as a player. Like I Not looked pro- at the Ryan Mason wars on Carlos Free Captain just like you did. And I am still so excited to see Ryan Mason 
lead this team out of the tunnel on Sunday. No, nah, the problem is I've built a, a whole personality around it. Yeah, you uh, were also like, the first. You were the first one to be like, yeah. this guy kind of sucks. Here's the difference. I don't have to watch him pass the ball anymore. It's true. Or attempt to pass to watch the ball. Him, you know, go running out of midfield to try and press the goalkeeper and then, then pass through the midfield space that he just vacated and then score an easy one-on-one. That's really what I'm thrilled about. <laughs> Can't wait till Hoybjerg starts doing that. He's like, look, Pierre, really appreciate all your hard work out there, but you're too static. What I need from you is to make really energetic runs forward to press Anderson and just see what happens. Let's find out. And then Ilke Gundogan just goes right between the center backs. You're like, fuck. What do we think of his sartorial choices today? I was expecting full-on tracksuit, but he had like... A weird puffy, like reflective puffy vest under his nice jacket. I don't know. I was. I think Ryan can do better. I, I'm, I'm expecting a suit on Sunday. Yeah, I'm surprised that we didn't get a suit today. Like, I really thought he was going to try and like make himself look as much a grown up as he could have, <laughs> and instead he looked like a kid wearing his dad's clothes, which is like kind of kind of even better. Like, he just found, like, Pochettino's stash. Like, he's, like, going through the closets at Hotspur Way, just like, oh, well, I don't want to wear... Where where can I... Uh, Mauricio's jacket, yes. There is something... wore Mauricio's jacket? Come on. Yeah. There is something that gives gives me... There is something that gives me the warm and fuzzies about, like, the Mauricio Pochettino coaching tree. And it's like, oh, it's Ryan Mason. And, like, it's, like, nice of... It would be nice if, like, one day we have a Pochettino disciple, like... Being a good coach for us, that would be that would be delightful. No, I mean, like whatever happens, <laughs> like it would be wonderful if we hired a good coach now, and then Ryan Mason goes off into the world and like, or maybe even sticks around as an assistant, but like, and then comes back to us like ready for this job in a few years. What so, a story! What here's a story! The thing about Ryan Mason, here's the thing about Ryan Mason. If he's a like he's good, he has relieved us of maybe the most miserable season I've had as a Spurs fan, which is saying something. Um, not really, actually. I've been a fan during some pretty good years, but he's relieved us of that. And if he becomes a great coach, like another team, we will always be able to hire Ryan Mason. Like we will be able to peel him off of any team he works for. So if he's a great coach somewhere else, if he turns out to be a great coach, like he's going to be back here coaching us one day. If he's not, then he gave us, like, a couple great weeks, and we can thank him for it. It's, That's it, beautiful. It's win-win, baby. It's win-win. He's our, he's our Frank Lampard or Stephen Gerrard, basically. No, because there's no expectations. He's 29. There's no expectations. It's that without the, like, unrealistically high expectations. We've all... Like, even Wendy, who is... I can't think of anyone who is more excited about Ryan Mason being the manager of Tottenham Hotspur. Even he's like, no, 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 don't... Like, under no circumstances, do not hire him as our permanent manager after the season. I'm sure that has changed after today. But, <laughs> you know, everyone's extremely realistic. Whereas Lampard and Gerard, or Gerard, because I can't pronounce that words correctly, because that's my bit. Now I'm mispronouncing English names, so I'm really branching out. Uh, but they are old enough where I feel like there is a measure of expectation on them. And they have just enough experience where people are thinking, like, well, what if they are actually good? And it's, like, not an entirely unreasonable thought. Anything positive with Ryan Mason is great. And I don't mean that as an insult. It's also just very weird that, like you said, he's 29. And it, it, that makes me feel, like, bad about myself. Just, you know, <laughs> where you I'm should. at. 
Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, Ryan Mason is the youngest Premier League manager. He has score goals in the Premier League, and he is a cyborg because he has metal in his head. So, you know, what have he, you been doing in your life, He has an England life, cap, too, I believe. Like, I, you know, like... Yeah, why don't you have an England cap, you fucking loser? Yeah, I don't... I'm not good at sports, and I'm not English. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the English one is the bigger problem, honestly. Um, it's just... it, And then the, the announcers kept saying, you know, in the match, like, you know... He was a teammate to most of these guys. There's four people on the pitch or three people on the pitch that are older than him. And it's just like, ah, that's so weird. It's just so weird. Like, could you could you imagine, like, walking into your job, a job that you'd had for years, and then all of a sudden, after having some well-respected person, well, you know, famous person in your field, uh, be in charge of you for years, and then all of a sudden there's a literal child who's the boss of you. I feel like that happens all the time. Like these fucking like fail son dipshit kids running their daddy's company. It hasn't happened like, to me. I guess is the norm. <laughs> yeah, but Ryan Mason seems Ryan Mason seems nice. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, it must be like it would probably definitely be most weird for people like Kane and Winks, who well maybe less so Winks because he's younger than him, but like Kane who came through the academy at the same time and was just like. Uh, no, I'm gonna do Harry I mean, Kane things. Don't I think do Bale that. even knows him a little bit from. His, I mean, yeah. he would have been much younger, but I think they were they would have been in, at very different levels, but in the academy at the same time. There was there's a vid, er, a photo going around Twitter right now of Bale coming off for Ryan Mason like eight years ago. Really? And then side by side with it with the photo of Bale coming off the pitch and shaking Mason's hand today. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, I have to say for our English listeners, like in, a, in, in baseball, one of the tropes for managers is the try-hard guy who had to grind because he wasn't that ta- naturally talented. And he gr- grinded for years in like the minor leagues or a, like sort of hanging on to major league clubs who becomes a good manager because he had to learn so much. He wasn't naturally gifted in the way that Gareth Bale or Harry Kane is. So, from an American sports perspective, Ryan Mason certainly fits the profile of the kind of player who would be a good manager one day. Like, no, he was in our youth system forever. I mean, that is a guy who has probably spent more time with coaches than a lot of other players. Like, I could see, if you told me Ryan Mason would be, like, a Premier League man, not necessarily a Champions League manager, but, like, or a Super League manager, but uh, a Premier League manager one day, I would not think it's crazy that he has like a spell at Watford or something like that. You know, it wouldn't shock me if he turned into... Six a- months and then sacked and replaced by Gianfranco Zola. He's not Bob Bradley. Come on, let's get realistic. But, um, you know, I don't... I don't know. Maybe Ryan Mason can manage Atlanta United next year. Yep. I mean, it would have been better than the last hire, right, Ben? Absolutely. Um, no, I mean, like, I, you know, I think I said this last time, but I, I, I found an old article from the Telegraph from, like, again, like 10 years ago, where John McDermott, who was the then Academy head, um, was talking about Ryan Mason. And, you know, uh, when asked, like, what separates Mason? from like the rest of the kids in the academy like why do you feel like he's bound to be a star and he described him as like being like monomaniacal about the game like a real student of the game and was like just spends his free time like studying matches you know spurs matches on his matches like okay brian is currently making a wanking motion about this but 
you know, I, it didn't serve him as well as it could have as a player. But again, that that attitude and approach is certainly the kind of thing that would serve a mediocre player in transitioning to management. And, you know, for a guy like Ryan Mason, who has said, you know, after his injury and finding a professional career that kind of only just got started getting cut short, like Pochettino turned him towards coaching and was like, this is something that you will you should fill your days with because you're going to need something because the thing that you've spent your whole life gearing yourself up towards is no longer an option. And like he did, he threw himself into it. He did a good job at Spurs to the point where he is now our manager. Like I, I firmly believe that he is a guy who is putting in the work because it's, it was either that or feeling sorry for himself. And he shows that. There's a great story going around today of uh, when Pochino went to visit him in the hospital. I'm thinking about how much I miss Pochino now. But um, when Pochino went to visit him in the hospital after he got his head cracked open, you know, he sort of sees him, and the first thing that Mason says to him is, Coach, I was in the right position. Because I guess that was something he drilled into him when he was at Spurs of, like, where to drop back and be defensive. And, you know, again, like, these are all anecdotal. These are all things that would make a lovely story if Ryan Mason turns out to be a good manager. But it's charming, and it's the kind of thing you'd like to see. Uh, So, you know, I think we all, despite this podcast history of slandering him in enormous volume, um, I think we've all... That'll continue. I think we, well, (laughs) I'm glad you're going to keep pick up the slack, Brian, but I think we all were very happy with how today went, and... You know, it's certainly an improvement, and I think we wish him nothing but success. Hopefully it spurs, um, maybe not immediately, but in the long term, um, you know, and in his coaching career, because it's, you know, I got us, again, I I just want to, like, I I don't want to forget this, because I think we're a podcast that tends to be a little dismissive of this sometimes, but, you know, God, hearing some of the shit he said was just, like, so refreshing after... You know, the way he talked about the club, which I mean, Mourinho wasn't, like, wildly disrespectful about, like, about Spurs while he was here. I mean, he could be. But Mourinho has Tottenham pajamas. Does does Ryan Mason have Tottenham I, pajamas? Ryan, Ryan Mason probably has a Tottenham tattoo, so. But it was just, like, hearing someone speak. And, I, again, this was not the problem with Mourinho, but hearing someone speak with that much sort of genuine affection for Spurs at a time when so many of us, including someone on this podcast whose name starts with a B, have really been kind of falling out of love with the club, was just, I found, refreshing. And, you know, I'm grateful for that, if nothing else. So, especially on a day which was two days after the Super League imploded. And we spent quite a lot of time talking about the Super League last time. And I am very happy that... My suspicions were validated in that these people were idiots who didn't plan anything, and it all crashed and burned. Now, I think fans deserve the most credit here, uh, especially English fans, because I think their extremely angry reaction is what ultimately tanked this. But I think we cannot put it past... I I think we, we must center on the fact that we should remember... Rich people aren't necessarily smarter than the rest of us because these guys were dumb as shit. I, I mean, this was bungled from the start. Putting aside any other concerns about it, these people couldn't have handled this worse. I, I think they've poisoned the well for the foreseeable future, even if they do get concessions from UEFA. It sounds like there was a loan to basically buy off the English team, so at the end of the day, Daniel Levy still got his bag. But I, I am... I think even with the low amount of respect we all have for rich people, uh, between Brian being a lawyer in Florida and 
Ben's communism and my general cynicism. I think it's still uh, shocking, right, Ben, how completely bungled this was? <laughs> I mean, yeah, they didn't do any of the things you need to do. Like, they laid no groundwork. Like, Man City was tweeting from its own Twitter feed, Pep Guardiola talking shit about the Super League the day that they decided to form the Super League. And it's just like, how do you not have all of the pieces in your own club on board with this, let alone, you know, make sure that the other possible stakeholders like PSG and Bayern Munich are on board. Media companies, television providers. like I don't have a, a PR firm like running game for you how have you not like talked to players how have you not like gotten people on your side and i think even in spite of all of that failings um if they had all just like held firm and like said we're doing this anyway even among all the backlash i think they would have pulled it off like i really think the reality is is like these big clubs have most of the leverage in the sport and if they were willing and committed to doing this thing, then it would have happened. See, I, I UEFA is is what's UEFA? It is an organization of people who have agreed to let them run things and like give them a lot of money to do it. But like they add no value. They do not create anything. They don't, you know, pay any players' salaries. They just are an organization. Like all of these people yelling at, at the Premier League clubs and at, at the various uh, European clubs who signed up for this, like, are mostly, like, weak entities who desperately need the revenue that these other guys bring. And if I, I really think if they had just stuck to their guns, they would have gotten away with See, it. But I disagree fact, with... Just, like, they were never capable of sticking to their guns because they're all a bunch of fractured whiny self-entitled billionaires with very different interests in approaching this project in the first place and you know especially like man city and chelsea i think were teams who were just like well as long as it's going to happen we're not going to be left out and at the first hint of trouble they were like yeah well we don't want to be part of it anymore then so i don't think you're wrong about especially the fractured nature of the group but i think you're underestimating like one of the reasons the premier league was a success when it was because all these complaints we hear about the premier league today in terms of like it's leaving people out. It's not respecting the grassroots of the game. Like, those weren't new. However many, you know, I, I was going to recount how many years ago the Premier League was for, but then I'll feel really old. But those weren't not around then. The difference is they got TV companies on board. They got media partners on board. They got the government on board. All these organizations, you make a good point, point Ben. They, they, they do need them. They're weak fundamentally. But they still do have power if they choose to exercise it. They're just looking for the payout at the end of the day. But if they have enough leverage, if they have enough reason, and like that's, I think, what you're seeing with the government, they can make their lives, like these other entities can make football teams' lives fucking miserable. Like if the, if the UK wants to do it, I mean, they can really fuck up their shit. Now, generally speaking, you're right. They just want to collect their checks and keep people happy. But if they've pissed enough people off and provided enough incentive for the government to start making real threats... They make, you know, give UEFA enough sort of leverage to create some sort of realistic risk for these clubs. You know, they're in real trouble. But they didn't bother to get you. I mean, they were never going to get UEFA on board. But they didn't bother to get governments on board. They didn't get TV partners to, like, pump out, like, you know, like, make everyone understand how exciting this was. I don't think I saw a single ex... I mean, I didn't see it from the actual clubs involved. We just had Florentino Perez, like 
getting loaded and going on a tacky Spanish talk show and like spouting Donald Trumpisms that were like half true, if not if that. I mean, I don't think I saw a single coherent like argument for why the Super League was good from the people involved, let alone external partners. And what they really needed, if they had half a brain, was you need people who aren't the clubs making the case for this. You need to get some pundits on board. You need Sky Sports telling everyone how great it's going to be. These are all things you need to do. And a fucking three-year-old, I could have come up with this media plan, and I'm an incredibly lazy communications professional. Like, people they pay lots of money to should have told them, like, you guys need to do this shit, or this is what's going to happen. I think this was entirely predictable, because they didn't do what had to be done. And now, if they try to do it again in a couple of years, unless they... Unless it looks a lot different, it's going to run into the same backlash. Brian? Well, I do think they'll learn those oh. lessons. Sorry. At the what? very least. I don't Maybe. think they will. I think they're incredibly stupid and arrogant people. <laughs> yeah. But, but no, I, I think you guys are exactly right. Like, it, it felt just so rushed and yes. stupid. Like, it's like the entire timeline that they'd laid out was they'd announced it now in April. And four months from now we're going to be kicking off this competition i'm like you don't even know what teams are in it you you, you don't uh, like they didn't have a firm grasp on you know what the implications were for domestic competitions what and and like but like you and ben both said there should have been a lot more behind the scenes groundwork done on this like you should have already had a bunch of this stuff in place you should have already had discussions with uefa and with fifa about like this is what we're going to do. Like, I know you guys don't like it, but like, this is, we think this is in our best interest. So what can we work out? Like, and instead they just like, they're stupid, they're arrogant and they don't like being told no. And so they just did it. And like, I mean, we all saw the website that they put out. Like it was, <laughs> it was something that I could make in 20 minutes on like Wix or Squarespace. Like, I, come on, uh, you know, all this money, all these billions of dollars, and none of these people thought, hey, we need a PR firm. Hey, we should hire some, you know, graphic designers, some marketing professionals. Like, I don't know. It's so stupid. I mean, really, I think the biggest failing was just like they announced it. They're like, we have 12 teams announcing this, and we have three more that are coming. And everybody expected, okay, those three more teams are like PSG, Bayern Munich, and like, I don't know, Dortmund. And what turned out very quickly was not only were those teams not on board with it, but they had talked to PSG and Bayern Munich and they had said no. And they just said, we're going to go ahead with it anyway. But like, as soon as you saw the other big clubs in the world being like, yeah, we were consulted on this and we don't want to do it. It was just like, you, you quickly realized that they had done none, like let alone like a good PR campaign. Like they hadn't even done like the basics of like making sure they had enough teams to form this league. Like they missed that. And they should have. They should have. Everything Think about who didn't want to join their club. Like Bayern Munich, and to a much greater extent PSG, are hardly like bastions of moral fortitude within the game of football, especially PSG. And but PSG's like, like deeply entwined with like the FIFA leadership board and the UEFA leadership oh, board. Absolutely. But my point is if PSG's like, nah, this is too scummy for us, like you should maybe take a step back and think about A, what you're doing, and B how it's gonna look. I don't know. I, I just really I didn't think this was going to happen like as a as a thing just because it felt so rushed. But 
I felt like it wasn't going to happen in a very different way. Like, I, I thought that what would happen was, like Ben said, the, the owners would weather this initial backlash and be like, nah, screw you guys, we're doing it anyway. And then in, like, June, there would be, like, some agreement with UEFA or FIFA where, like, all right, well, we'll put this on the back burner for two years. We're going to do this, though, for real, guys. But for now, we're just going to stay and do the Champions League thing. But eventually... But now, like you said, there's no way that you can do this again without it being completely different or without it being UEFA-backed or UEFA-sponsored or whatever. Like, There's no way that these clubs are now getting the piece of the pie that they were trying to get for themselves. Um, you know, it's just like they, like you said, they poisoned the well. Like there's... There's no coming back from this. this well, so I mean, they're going to get, like, the English clubs have already gotten a buy-off from UEFA. Like, they're going to get concessions. But, yeah, I, I I just don't think they can do this. But what, what is, Ben, you've made some interesting points on social media about something that I really agree with, with about who's getting credit for stopping this and whether or not they deserve credit. Can you expound upon that? Um, I mean, I, I guess you're talking about the fan backlash specifically. No, I'm talking about pieces of shit. Or like when Everton. We're I'm, no, I'm, well, maybe to a some extent, but I'm talking about you. You were talking about how just like some of the worst actors in world football are being treated like heroes right now, and it's kind of maddening to watch this on some level. Yeah, I mean, I think it's not a level of like, did they stop it or not? It's just. Are they are they actually protecting the things that they're saying that they are? You know, like Sky Sports is not a a vanguard for like the purity of football. Like they have made it very difficult for you to watch games. They have profited handsomely off the Premier League TV deal um, at the expense of like most of the football pyramid. You know, it's just all a bunch of people who want their slice of the pie and. You know, the reality is, like, if you're going to do something like this, you need to make sure the right palms are greased because there's a lot of people who are very rich, who are getting very rich off of this, who are going to be very upset when it doesn't happen. And, you know, I I definitely don't think this is the end of this. I mean, like, the Premier League happened. You know, they got everybody on side. They did it right. And I do think, as stupid as they approached it this time, like, lessons will be learned, and they will make sure that they bring on the right actors like Boris Johnson coming out and like decrying this as like, you know, some moral failing that like he is there to protect as if the Tory government is not wildly pro business and, you know, happy to destroy anything resembling a grassroots, anything in the name of profit. Um, you know, they just were not included in the conversation and they're pissed. And, you know, I think, yeah, maybe, like, people are a little gun-shy for now and they won't try it again in a minute, but they're going to try it again and they're going to do it right. Like, it's it's just, there's just so much money. Like, in, like, it's so much harder now, like, and, you know. It is harder. They're going to have to work with a UEFA and hopefully that, you know, because I don't think UEFA is as bad as FIFA. I mean, they're bad, but they're not as bad. And like, you know, it's gonna. I think it's gonna just retain some structure of the Champions League. Now that's still wildly problematic in a whole set of different ways, but it's not this. 
So I, I don't know. I, I just think they have, they have made this mountain much harder for them to climb again, if nothing else. I mean, I you know, like I think fatalism is a bad look for anybody like hoping for a better future. And so I'm not trying to be fatalistic about it, but I am also very very accustomed to the billionaires that run the world getting their way in most contexts and re- reducing competition and making sure that like their their profits are guaranteed at the expense of everybody else. So like it's always going to be a goal. Like, you know, all of these teams, whatever their various motivations exist, you know, Juventus is seeing Syria dying. Barcelona and Real Madrid have way over leveraged themselves to be what they are again in a in a similarly dying league. I think the six Premier League clubs are finding that six does not go into four and two of them are going to miss out on the Champions League every season. And, you know, at the level of revenue expectation they're operating on, they can't afford to miss out. And so all of these teams are in a very similar position today as they were two days ago, which is we're very big, we have huge fan bases, and we need to make sure we're getting these guaranteed revenues from the biggest competition in the world. And that is not guaranteed to them in the way that they want it to be. And that hasn't changed. And so as much of a setback as this is, is like they're still going to need to pursue something that secures that bag. And so this fight isn't over. It's just we won for now. Brian, how angry are you at Dan? I mean, how do you feel about Daniel Levy um, after this? Are you mad that he was participating? I mean, how do you view has he has this changed your view of Daniel Levy? Because I think this is generally speaking a a relatively pro Daniel Levy podcast, at least for uh, a Tottenham podcast. Uh, but how do you feel about him after this? Yeah, I mean, I don't know the same. I I, I think Ben made this point on Twitter um, earlier in the week, but like I I don't know what we would have expected of any other person in charge of Tottenham Hotspur like if we're the ambitious club that we claim to be and you know we have the best stadium in the world and the best training center in the world and we want to attract the best players like why would we not want to be involved in a competition that involves all of the best teams and I mean especially when you see all of your direct rivals signing up and and and, and being a part of it like do you want to be, if you know how does it feel to be, you know, Leicester or Everton or or Wolves and be on the outside looking in at a competition like that? Now, now in the aftermath of it where everybody fucking hated it, it probably feels pretty great. But, you know, when it gets announced and you're like, well, nobody talked to us about that. Like, how, how, do, how does that feel? Is that are you excited about being even further behind in the financial game against your rivals? Um, you know, I, I, I think. You know, look, I would have liked. I, I would like us to be part of something like this, but something that makes sense and is, you know, not just making the rich richer and lessening opportunities for teams in less glamorous countries or further down the pyramid or, you know, just, you know other random good team football teams like i i don't know like like i said on the show earlier this week i like the idea of a super league but i like the idea of like a 60 team league with promotion and relegation and you know all this other sort of stuff 
I would want Spurs to be involved in that. Like, I just would. And I, I don't care if it's Daniel Levy or Joe Lewis or Alan Sugar or any other owner, chairman, whatever. I I have to think that they would have to be part of it. They 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 would want to be part of it. And I think it's us overly moralizing soccer or sport in general to expect that they wouldn't like you know it's still a business and as much as we all hate to think about it that way as much as we we think about it being you know connected to our local community and about um building bonds and 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 fandom and tribalism and whatever that's great but like it's still a business and I don't know, do you guys want to be able to sign really cool players for 60 million pounds or do you want to just play with your friends in the park on Sunday? I, I, you know, like I, I understand that's probably like a false dichotomy, but this is a business. That's a premier league club. We're constantly talking about how we're f- so much further behind our rivals in terms of finances. This was an opportunity to bring us closer into parity with the teams that are above us. I don't know how you don't take it. I mean, I think the the question's asked how would Tottenham be feeling if they didn't join up with this right now? I mean, the answer is we'd still be hearing jokes about how we weren't important enough to get invited. So I right. do think it's a bit of a lose-lose. You know, either you join this massive opportunity or, you know, you look foolish for not being invited. Obviously, in retrospect, this was so poorly run we shouldn't have been involved I mean morally on a moral level I think you'd like to think a team like Tottenham's not going to involve the way football works now the way the structure is the way it is set up in England and Europe at large you know I think Ben was right I think probably any man any chairman we have you know does this but you know I think at least Daniel Levy's a Spurs fan at least you know he's tried to improve the I mean he has improved the club over the last 20 years until the structure of English football changes, I'll take the devil I know. Yeah, I think I think it's a really hard question in terms of like what you want sports to be, what you want Spurs to be, what you want a team you care about to be. I mean, I think the first thing I would say is, you know, Leicester, Everton, and all these clubs that come out of this looking like they have like some level of integrity because they decried it. Any one of those owners had they been invited to participate in this would have said yes like there's not a doubt in my mind that the fucking billionaires that run these people are not equally invested in making sure that their clubs become as rich and as competitive as possible so you know from that standpoint it's like i understand you're the chairman of a football club your job is to make this club as competitive as financially viable have the best players to compete against the best teams in the world. Like that's, that's your job. And you know, it's shitty that that's what the world of football is, but like, that's the world of football. You know, I think you can imagine maybe a world where like Daniel Levy, like leaks to the press and it becomes like some fucking champion of, of real football and, and, and denounces this before it gets off the ground because he knew about it ahead of time. But like, I feel like that's fan fiction. Like that's just, no one's doing that. You know, once you get invited to the party, like you can't say no. Like if we live in a world where this actually gets off the ground and becomes, 
you know, replaces the Champions League or, like, becomes, like, a new tier of football that, like, promotes and relegates back down to the domestic leagues or whatever. And, like, we had an opportunity to be part of that, and it's going to make billions of dollars, and everyone's going to watch it and whatever. And Daniel Levy, it comes out, said, no, I don't want to be part of that because I care about the integrity of the game, and we just never get to be part of that. Like, people will be very mad. Like, they would be, you know? And I... Yeah, there's no winning here, and I, I just don't know what you want a football chairman to be, in a way that aspires towards right now, which is guaranteed top four every season, which is what you want your team to accomplish. Like that entails a lot of the same cynical, money grubbing bullshit that we're talking about. It's just broadly within this evil status quo that we're all just used to. So it's like kind of fine, but doing the new evil status quo would be like anathema. And it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's just there's, it's all bad. Would, would you say that capitalism makes wolves of us all then? I would say that Greg, I would absolutely say that. <laughs> that's a, that's a famous to... quote from somebody, isn't it? Yeah, it's a famous quote yeah, from us. <laughs> I feel like it was uh, Trotsky, maybe? Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Right. Until you devolve football back to something that is, like, both equitable, where everybody can compete on equal footing, regardless of your global branding and regardless of, like, the revenue streams from TV deals, like, these are just the things that are going to happen because it's fucking capitalism. And I, and I think that, like, us being more comfortable with that perspective, and we talked about this on the show on Monday – I think a lot of that comes from being American sports fans. Like, our teams are franchises. Like, teams move cities for more money. Like, the owner of Arsenal owns an NFL team, and he packed up his NFL team and moved it across the country to Los Angeles because he thought it would make more money. Uh, And he was right. And And, and it was insane because it's not like they weren't selling out in St. Louis. Like... Yeah. And the and, owner and, of Arsenal a long time ago moved across London. <laughs> like, what's not, <laughs> these things. No, I think, you know what, man? I think that's. It's really important to remember this because I think that is something that always drives me a little bit around the bend. It's like this idea that greed is a new thing in football. And the idea that, like, you know, these owners in the 70s and the 80s and the 60s and the 30s, in your case, weren't greedy just because they were like there wasn't the platform or they were just not as good at it but like the idea that this is new is I think something that we tend to overlook it's not it's it's always been there they're just better at it now I mean like Arsenal bought their way into the Premier League at our expense a hundred years ago like we know this is all part of like our fandom lore that like this is a thing that happened and we hate Arsenal in large part because of it, and they moved into our backyard. But this is... These are the kind of franchisey things that are gross, you know, money-grubbing asshole moves that owners do that has plagued sports forever. And, like, this would be worse in a lot of different ways, but I think it's naive to pretend, like, this is a a unique evil. But I think, Ben, you're sort of nailing the problem here is that I have with it sometimes is, like, where are you just sort of realistic about what it is and where do you sort of demand or expect better? And I I don't have a great answer for that because 
I, I think, yeah, this is a good line. Yeah, but, it, but it's like, because there are times I see specifically some of our brothers in Tottenham across the Atlantic, like, get angry about things that I think it's a little ridiculous to get angry about. But then you see something like this, where on the one hand, while I think we all are like, what do you expect out of our chairman? It's It's sort of a decision, you know, it's a lose-lose situation in terms of, decisions they can make but on the other hand it's completely unacceptable like it, it's a very you know I, I don't know I, I don't know how to sort of marry these two sort of worldviews in terms of like being realistic about what to expect but also expecting better because I don't think necessarily because things suck we should have the lowest expectations possible yeah, and I would never say, like, do not, like, fucking yell at Daniel Levy and go out there and protest and, like, fucking scream about this. Because, like, absolutely scream about this. I'm cynical about, like, the motivations of billionaires and the goals and, like, what they're trying to accomplish. But I'm also a fan of a football team who exists in a landscape that is a large part of the reason why I care about this sport and why I care about this team is because of the way that it operates and the way that it operates very differently to American sports, which I don't follow because they're gross. (laughs) You know, I fully support everybody screaming about this and yelling about this and demanding better. Um, I, I just, you know, I'm also cynical and. Well, there's that level of like, either you're going to, you're going to support Marine and no one else or, you're going to swallow a little bit of shit and support a bigger team. Right. Like the reality is like the only reason Tottenham Hotspur is where we are today is because a billionaire decided 20 years ago, this team in London is very marketable and under leveraged in a global business sense. And with a little money and a little business sense, we could make this team a viable club at the top of the game. And they were right. And you know, we could just as easily be Fulham or West Ham or whoever. Like, it's just we happen to get bought out by a very savvy owner, and that's why we're here. And so it's like it's hard to have reaped the benefits of this over the last 20 years of Daniel Levy. And Alan Sugar before that, who, like you said, was a huge part of making the Premier League happen in the first place. You know, like Tottenham Hotspur has been a very big beneficiary of a lot of very bad shit about how this game operates. And so it's like, I think the thing I would ask is like, let's all examine the things we've taken for granted about who we are and how we got here as much as we complain about what's coming next, because that's kind of the reality we're living in. The the only, you know, like I, I agree with Ben. I like, you know, if you want to protest and you want to advocate for change and all that, I totally support that. The only thing I find disingenuous is a lot of the people that I see that are very much like Daniel Levy out. He he's ruined the integrity of football. They are the same people that are like, for fuck's sake, Levy, why wouldn't you back Jose Mourinho? Why didn't you spend the money to buy Skrinia? Why didn't you back Pochettino by signing players? And it's just like, all right, guys, what what side of the fence are we on here? Are we on the side of the fence where we spend $100 million every transfer window and buy all the players you want? Or are we on the side where money's ruining the game and, you know, this isn't pure anymore? Like, we don't get to have our cake and eat it, too. Like, if you want us to spend all this money on players, then you have to be willing to accept that teams are going to do whatever they can to maximize their... Or at least a certain, level of, a certain level of that, at least. 
Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I, I just think the people that are all, like, you know, catching the vapors and, like, you know, fanning themselves with their handkerchiefs over this are just, like, it's a little naive. Like, I mean, this is beyond the pale, but, yeah, like, it's... Is Again, it though? Like, I, well, I just don't, I, mean, I mean, it is. I mean, like, I mean, certainly, if nothing else, like, you're doing all this radical shit, and Daniel Levy, more than anyone, should have known how poorly planned this all was. So, that's a problem um, beyond all the other problems. But, I mean, like, the reason you get away with, like, the slow bleeding out of everything that's good, you know, quote unquote, about the game is because everything looks broadly the same. You know, this is such a radical change that it's the kind of thing that people like sit up and realize, oh, wait a minute, this is bad. That, you know, I think I would just ask is like, the thing that we do is bad and like fight that and use this moment to demand real radical change that, you know, devolves, you know, the outrageous spending from outside of club revenues that makes sure that the TV money gets redistributed to other teams so that they can compete. Cause like the notion that we're protecting here is like this faux meritocracy where anybody could win the league. Anybody could get promoted. Anybody could get in the champions league. And like, it's a lie. Like that isn't real. That's not a real thing. Like sometimes someone gate crashes the party, but like, that's not what the system is. And as long as we've like maintained the illusions that that's possible, we've been broadly okay with all the terrible money shit that's happened. Um, it's only when this makes very transparent what the actual goals here is that only only the few richest clubs get to participate in like the biggest deals. Um, you know, once those illusions go away, people are mad. And I'm just gonna say, like, be mad all the time. Well, I think that's like the UEFA that... gutted financial fair play. Like, it, it just basically doesn't exist. And even when it did exist, it didn't. Well, we lost Brian for a second, but... But he didn't mute himself. He didn't mute himself. We want you to understand that. We, we, <laughs> we want to give him credit where credit is due. I think, um, you know, I think what it is telling about this is, like, you're taking... What, what, what this did was take away a fig leaf. And, you know, but that, that's my point. All you have to give these fans to keep them sort of happy and believing that lie is, like, you give them the fig leaf. You give them the illusion... Of competition, and they'll shut up and eat a lot of shit. And you know, I'm not saying they shouldn't protest and want a more equitable system, but like they'll put up with a lot if you give them the illusion of a meritocracy. And where they didn't seem to realize this was fucked up was like, no, you you you're taking away that illusion. And when you take away that illusion, people are going to be pissed. Brian, who has not muted himself, is back with us. Brian. Uh, I was just going to complain about like UEFA's culpability and all this, and how like if the, if we're going to advocate for change, like we should be advocating for. The, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but the type of change that like Bayern Munich is talking about, where we're talking about you know UEFA salary caps or luxury taxes or you know uh, you know an actual FFP that has teeth and means something. Fifty like, plus one. Like we want. Yeah, like I mean, advocate. Will, will we? Will we? <laughs> oh, oh no! Man, I think I think UEFA has a, a bug in Miami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My internet sucks. Um, if you just want radical change, then like let's go the other direction. Like let's push teams to go 
and be you know more austere let's let's force them to rein in spending let's force let's let's in, institute salary controls let you know let's do something real about the direction that fans seem to not like football going in and to course correct it back like let's not just return it to the status quo and like let's let's do something my my only Thing I want. I agree with what you're saying there, Brian. My only addendum to that is, if we are going to adopt some of the very good ideas from the Bundesliga, I just would like to emphasize: if we could please just not talk about those reforms in the way that fans of the Bundesliga talk about the Bundesliga, because Jesus Christ, it's so obnoxious and it makes me like. I would like not want to do to adopt a sausage train. If we could just have a train around the stadium that has sausages on it, I would be a fan of that Bundesliga. Maybe maybe with some, like, you know, spicy chicken from, from the neighborhood. Yep. Brown jerseys. That would be cool. Okay, let's fucking calm down. Like, come on. Let's not, let's not kill the game while we're at it. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Like, quartered blue and white jerseys. Yes, thank you. <laughs> oh, well, I think this was a good discussion. Uh, UEFA should try to end football as we know it more often. We have good talks on this podcast. Uh, I think that's where we're going to wrap it up. Before we go, uh, Ben, how are you feeling about the game on Sunday? I don't care. I feel I feel zen in a way that I could not have imagined a week ago. I just feel like nothing can touch me. Even if we lose 6-0... I but you're going to be, be excited is not maybe not the word, but not dreading watching it, I would say. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm excited because it feels like we have our Spurs back. Whatever that means is it feels like it's ours again. And, you know, especially in the wake of the week we've had with the, with the Super League being threatened and Jose Mourinho being our manager, um, it's just nice to – see somebody like Ryan Mason in the dugout and just feel like those connections to the things about the club that like we love and win or lose I am excited about that and that is going to get me through Sunday whatever happens on the pitch Brian how are you feeling about Sunday uh, I'm honestly excited I mean the cup final you were probably always going to be a little bit excited about it um I would have talked myself into getting a little bit up for a cup final between Jose and Pep Guardiola. Um, but now that Jose is not involved, um, I'm definitely more interested. You know, I, I want to see what we're going to do. I want to see how Ryan Mason is going to utilize bravery and passion to out coach or out. I don't know what out bravery Pep Guardiola. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I'm here. I'm interested in it. Like, let's do it. Let's go win one. I, I think. I think Ben put it well. It's. It feels like Spurs are ours again, and that's that's a nice feeling. We're, however, however, you know, either we get pumped by the best manager in modern in the modern era of football, which is probably pretty likely to happen if the early stages of this game were any indication, or we have the most improbable. We we you know we have one of the most like romantic cup wins in like English history. So. You know, it's like, it's a, there's a big dichotomy between those two, but, you know, it's kind of, you know, I'm walking on cloud nine. Nothing can touch me. It's not going to bother me, so. Yeah, I really hope we either win or lose, like, seven or eight to nothing. Just, and then firmly killing Ryan Mace's coaching career for all of time. 
Poor, <laughs> I don't hope for that. Poor, poor Brian with a Y. Um, <laughs> Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock, and you fuckers can figure out how to spell that. <laughs> if you can't figure it out by now, dear listeners, then you got bigger problems than uh, Tottenham Hotspur. Ben, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Comrade U Spurs. That's you with a Y. <laughs> and you can find our podcast on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's Wheeler Dealer, WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. You can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079, where you can read my hottest takes about professional wrestling and Tottenham Hotspur. For Ben, for Brian, and of course, for Ryan Mason and Brett Rainbow, I have been your host, Greg. Come on. You Spurs. <laughs>